Hey there, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm happy to have you joining us today. Today is March 6, 2020, and we certainly have quite a bit to be talking about in the financial world. So anybody that's been paying any mind, uh, I know I mentioned this in last week's episode, but it's only become exasperated since then, is certainly aware of the shock that the stock market has recently felt. Um, mostly pointed, of course, to the coronavirus. So it seems like we have a thousand point gain one day, the next day we have a thousand point loss, and we're seeing some uh, tremendous volatility just over these past couple of weeks. So I thought this would be an opportune time uh, to really look at kind of the history of the stock market, and in particular, some of these downtimes that we've encountered. Now, I'm certainly not going to say that we're entering a recession or anything of the like, but I think I want to give context to that so that everyone out there listening can be aware of, you know, what has our history looked like? I know for many young investors, maybe we didn't even get to realize or feel the impact of 2008 in that financial crisis. Or for a lot of other investors out there, you might be saying, hey, I only felt that and the uh, the dot-com bubble in 2001, and that's really all I know about investing. So I think whenever we can really take a step back, look at history, uh, that will provide us some context to how to judge you know the current ups and downs in the stock market and the way that we should recognize them for really what they are. So if you're you know this far into the episode, you realize we're not doing a video uh, this week. Um, just because we've been completely overloaded with the, the day job due to the coronavirus and tax season and everything else. Um, so if you're used to following us on, on Facebook or YouTube or anywhere, um, please bear with us just for this one week because I think we have a lot of content here uh, that is better just to kind of listen to. And I've also created a nice chart for everybody to look at um, through macro trends. And what the chart shows us, if you're, you're looking pretty much anywhere, it should be available. Uh, it's a chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average from January 1st, 1915 up until today. All right, so that right there, I mean, statistics speak volumes. And to have that much data, uh, which the financial world is so generous to give us, going all the way from 1915 up until today, uh, to have data from every single day, if we just look at that chart, I think that that speaks volumes. And you'll notice a lot of those, the ups and the downs. And if you open up a history book, you can see a lot of the events that we've encountered in America that have been directly correlated um, to the stock market and its performance, whether that be good, bad, or indifferent. So without further ado, let's just take a, a quick look at you know where we started uh, as a country, and then all the way up until today. I'm going to try and do a really quick uh, summary so that you understand the history of the stock market in about the next 20 minutes. All right, so why, again, did I want to talk about this? It's pretty crazy what we're seeing right now, okay? This is Friday, March 6th. Just earlier this week on Tuesday, the Federal Reserve announced its first emergency rate cut since the 2008 financial crisis. They brought the benchmark rate down 50 basis points on Tuesday, okay? 
So that was a big kind of a big move that sounded a lot of alarms. And I was actually happened to be uh, in front of the screen most of Tuesday. And I noticed as soon as the Fed announced that rate cut, the market, which was down substantially, uh, shot up to over 300. The Dow was up 300 points within just minutes after that announcement. So we saw about a 600 point swing where the market was down about 300 and then the market went up about 350. Okay, the Dow Jones is what I'm referring to when I say the market. And we were like, okay, the rate cut came in and we saw a nice little pop and then the market absolutely tanked on Tuesday. Okay, so it seemed like kind of like an initial shot in the arm. And then from what many of the economists and experts say, it was more of an alarm that was sounded that the Fed felt the need to step in with this emergency rate cut. And since that point, again, it's only been a few days, don't want to make any snap judgments. But of course, we've seen the market just kind of whipsawing up and down for the remainder of the week uh, because of the uncertainty of the coronavirus. Okay, so again, let's take a look at what is a recession uh, before anyone starts to even throw that word around. So the National Bureau of Economic Research, or the NBER, which is an American private nonprofit research firm, the NBER defines a recession as a significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy, lasting for more than two quarters, okay, which is six months, and normally visible in real gross domestic product, or GDP, as well as real income, employment, industrial production, and uh, wholesale retail sales. Okay, so those are all the factors that they uh, they look at and say, okay, have we had a decline over the span of six months? All right. So again, when we're just looking at the stock market, you know, for today's uh, episode, we're talking about a couple weeks here, guys, that we've seen this this kind of volatility. Um, so again, recession is going to enter the conversation when we've had six months of such a decline. All right. So the NBER started recording recessions in 1857, and that's, of course, where we have most of our data from 1857 moving on. All right. Now, this is some uh, some statistics that I found uh, pretty uplifting, and that was that from uh, 1945 to 2001, the average duration of a recession, which there were 11 recessions uh, in that time frame, was about 10 months. From 1919 to 1945, the average recession lasted about 18 months. And then from 1854, when we started recording all this, up until 1919, the average recession was 22 months. So that's certainly some uh, good news there that as time has gone on since 1854, when our American economy has taken a dip, uh, fortunately, that dip has gotten shorter and shorter um, as we've gotten closer to the present day. So that's certainly good news to hear. And again, when we're throwing out recession, guys, I know if you listened a few weeks ago when we did the debunking financial jargon, uh, really what we talked about was like bear markets versus bull markets. I don't want to confuse those. Again, a bear market and think of bear is bad. That's the, the bear's paw is kind of swiping down. Okay, so things are going down. That's a 20% drop in the market. Okay. Whereas a bull market, all right, so think of the bull's horns going up, so the market going up, that's optimistic, is when the market's going up 20% and sustained it and has not felt a bear market or a drop thereafter of another 20%. So you got the bear and the bull, 
Uh, a bear market often is correlated to a recession, but they are not the same thing. So I just wanted to differentiate that quickly. All right, so moving along, uh, the first recession really that we can point to um, in, in the American economy, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, would be in uh, 1785. All right, so as you might imagine for some of us scholars out there, America declared its independence and became a country in 1776. So in 1785, shortly after the American Revolution, our country was swamped in debts. Um, there was no real federal government yet. They, we were babies at that point in time. And there was really a lack of trade because there was such little uh, system here as far as a country or an economy. And so we felt that first recession right out the gates in 1785. Right. As time went on and we got back on our feet and America you know, became a beautiful country that we know it, we had some dips here and there. Um, in 1791, after that recession, the first bank of the United States was created to try and handle any financial crises that might pop up. And like I said, after that, we had a couple dips into the early 1800s. And some of the reasons there that, that scholars have pointed to uh, is where our currency was based on copper and people started going out and actually co counterfeiting the copper. And um, that obviously devalued our currency and led to our currency eventually changing more from copper over to paper money. All right, that was in the late 1700s. Another big thing as we started to develop trade routes is there was a huge issue with pirates actually disrupting trade. And that caused a lot of issues in, in obviously our trade and trickled down to our overall economy. All right. So we moved from, you know, the, the American Revolution, that first little recession, a couple dips there in the late 1700s, early 1800s. But our economy is growing. And then all of a sudden, the Embargo Act of 1807 was signed into effect by President Thomas Jefferson. All right. This was a general embargo on all foreign countries uh, that our Congress enacted with the intent to try and harm the UK and France during the Napoleonic Wars. This completely backfired on our economy as we created these tariffs and trade restrictions and that essentially we lost whatever trade that we had and then the UK ended up picking up a lot of the American trade routes and um, like I said that totally backfired and threw us into another little recession in 1807. All right, and then we climb out of that, and then you'll see we have the Panic of 1819, in which there was rapid inflation following the War of 1812. That led to a lot of bank closures, um, and uh, essentially what inflation is, and that was our first real uh, you know, experience with that as a country. Um, inflation, again, is going to be the increase in prices of all goods and the fall of purchasing power. So in short, what that means is that the dollars that we own become uh, less valuable, okay? So there's much more of that currency out there. Our dollars can't buy what they used to. We have inflation, and now all of a sudden we have the same amount of money in the bank, but it's really not worth as much as it should be. And so again, the panic of 1819 was really sparked by rapid inflation after the War of 1812. And then time goes on. Um, we go into another... Uh, recession worth noting in the 1830s. Okay, so again, for our history buffs out there, that's when our president was Andrew Jackson. And what happened here is Andrew Jackson was fighting to end what at that point was called the Second Bank of the United States. 
And the second bank actually lost its charter in 1836. And then from a long period now, from 1837 up until 1862, there was really no national presence in banking. Okay, so there was some state and local regulation as far as what a bank could or could not do. But there was nothing on the federal level um, as far as how banks really should be operated. Okay, and then in 1863... Um, in response to financing pressures of the Civil War, Congress eventually passed the National Banking Act, and that created nationally chartered banks and kind of brought back the federal government uh, into this sector of the economy. So there wasn't a central bank or a, a depository insurance company or anything like that during the era. Um, so banking panics were relatively common, um, but recessions were what led to these banking panics and financial crises and then it would also make often make the recession even worse than it was. Okay, so that was kind of like, I guess you could call it a dark era of American banking uh, that was prompted again by President Andrew Jackson in the 1830s. And now we fast forward through again, a lot of these gyrations, ups and downs, different wars going on throughout the 19th century. And then eventually we enter the 1900s, all right? So the first one worth noting was in 1907. And what prompted the recession started in 1907 was a bank run on the Knickerbocker Trust Company. Okay, the Knickerbockers, any New York Knicks fans out there, that's where that name comes from. And uh, what happened is on October 22nd, 1907, um, there was a run on the Knickerbocker Trust Company that created a severe monetary contraction and then the fallout eventually led to uh, just a panic. And that's ultimately the impetus to create what we have today as the Federal Reserve System. All right. And if you're asking yourself, well, what's a bank run? Like, why, why did people panic about that? What was it? So a bank run, just to define that, is when a large number of customers withdraw their deposits simultaneously. Okay. So the bank has X amount of dollars on hand. They keep even less of that actually in reserves or in the vault there. And then for some reason, you know, the people in the local community, they get scared. They say, oh my gosh, I got to go get my money. And all those customers run to the bank at the same time and ask the teller, hey, can I get my deposit back? And now the bank actually doesn't have all that deposits on hand sitting in their little vault there. So they start to pay out what they can. But then when they realize, you know, that there's, uh, you know, that, that we they're withdrawing too much, the probability of the bank defaulting increases. So now more and more of the customers run there to get their money. And before you know it, there's no more money in the vault and there, that bank run has been completed. Uh, and that's where essentially a bank can go under. So a very scary thing. And that's what happened on a wide scale in 1907. And as you could imagine, giving your money to the bank and then going there one day to the teller and being told that your money's gone, uh, it would be obviously quite frightening. And on a very large scale, that's enough to pretty much take out all the confidence we would have in a banking system. And that's exactly what happened in 1907. So again, as Americans always do, we, we rebound from that recession and we enter, you know, World War One, unfortunately. And then what happened thereafter is, uh, and this was really uh, spotlighted in Europe. Again, if you want to read into this, especially about World War One, some interesting stuff. 
in which Europe experienced severe hyperinflation. Okay, so there's that word again that we had just mentioned. And uh, it took place uh, over production in North America. And it was a brief but very sharp recession. Uh, and it was caused by the end of wartime production uh, right after World War I, along with an influx of labor from all these returning troops. And in turn, it caused a lot of very high unemployment at the same time that there was that hyperinflation in Europe. And that's where, if you guys remember from history books, where you saw people actually in, in Europe going to the bakery, you know, with wheelbarrows full of cash, and they couldn't even buy, you know, a, a, uh, a loaf of bread with a wheelbarrow full of cash because the currency had pretty much become completely devalued uh, because of such high hyperinflation. So Europe was in, in complete disarray, and a lot of that obviously hit America and our unemployment after World War One. And if, as a sidebar, if you want to dig into this a little further, this is what a lot of people say actually became the launch pad, unfortunately, for Adolf Hitler to come to power, is where Germany in particular was in complete disarray. Its citizens were just clamoring for an answer uh, after World War One. And then, you know, unfortunately, Hitler, who was known as a great orator, um, extremely, uh, you know, uh, gifted in the way of, um, you know, getting up on stage and rallying the masses and promising, you know, that everything would be okay again. And unfortunately, people in a complete panic, obviously, bought into a lot of that and enough so to, to give him an opportunity to seize power there in Germany with the Nazi party. So that's the recession after World War One, And then time goes on just a little bit into the roaring 20s, right? which here in America was a great time where the stock market was soaring. You couldn't miss. Everybody and their brother began investing into the stock market and into Wall Street as we know it today. And the 20s were a fantastic time in American history, particularly for the economy. Unfortunately, as that bubble continued to get inflated, we hit the granddaddy of them all, which was the Great Depression. So in just to give you some of these facts, because this is just mind-blowing. In the Great Depression, gross domestic product, or GDP, fell by 27%, according to the Congressional Research Service. That was the deepest uh, recession that we have ever felt in American history. All right. And, um, I mean, unemployment was well over uh, 10%, um, and it got much, much higher thereafter. It actually got into the 20s um, by most records. Uh, in 1932, unemployment hit 21.3%. And then just to be bested a year later, in 1933, unemployment hit 26.7%. Um, so just incredible numbers there. And uh, the Great Depression lasted for about three years, from August of 1929 to March of 1933. Um, so it was a, a, obviously a terrible time. And ultimately, when it started to get into the weeds here, on October 24th, 1929, uh, nervous investors began selling these overpriced stocks that they had from such an overheated stock market. And that prompted the stock market crash. All right. And a record at the time, 12.9 million shares were traded on that day, which is now known as Black Thursday. 
And then just five days later, on October 29th, 1929, a day known as Black Tuesday, 16 million shares were traded as just a complete wave of panic had swept over Wall Street. So just an instance, within one week, millions of shares had ended up completely worthless. Uh, Those investors, a lot of them had bought stock on margin through the roaring 20s where you couldn't lose. What that means is they were actually borrowing money to then go invest it. They were completely wiped out uh, just within a, a short week there. And, um, and then in 1932, as time goes on, uh, the country was completely mired, of course, in the Great Depression. Uh, over 15 million people uh, were out of work. Um, we then had the election for President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, who won in a huge victory uh, in 1932. And of course, this is after uh, Herbert Hoover. This is when uh, things started to turn for the better. Um, By the inauguration day on March 4th, 1933, every U.S. state had ordered all remaining banks to close at the end of the fourth wave of banking panics. And the U.S. Treasury uh, didn't have enough cash to pay all the government workers. All right. Nevertheless, FDR uh, projected a really calm energy. He, He had these fireside chats that became famous at the time. And that's where he famously said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And then that led to the creation of the FDIC in 1933, or the Federal Depository Insurance Corporation, which would bank, back all these banks um, so that people didn't have to worry about bank runs happening ever again. And then, of course, he created the New Deal uh, to inject a lot of work back into the economy to create jobs and get people back up on their feet. And then unfortunately, shortly thereafter, we entered World War II. Um, But from an economic standpoint, a lot of people actually point to World War II as being the the kind of the point in time, that tipping point that was able to get us out of the Great Depression. And after World War II, um, you know, America, obviously, the economy did very well. We experienced the greatest growth we ever have in our history. And that led all the way up to just a few more recessions I'll touch on. We have in 1973, uh, there was an oil crisis, okay? There was a quadrupling of oil prices created by OPEC. And when we coupled that with the 1973-74 stock market crash, uh, it led to stagflation and a pretty big recession here in America. Nothing like the Great Depression, but that was our first real hit uh, that we had realized post-World War II. And then America, you know, by and large does pretty well. Interest rates go up quite a bit in the 80s, took another dip then. And then we went through the 90s where the market just began roaring, kind of like it did in the 1920s. And this is really when technology had entered the picture and the internet, the advent of the internet. So the 1990s are considered the longest period of growth in American history uh, up until the current time, which I'll get into in a moment. Uh, But we had never experienced anything quite like it before. Eventually, that led to what they call the dot-com bubble. And this is where every investor out there felt that if a name or a company had dot-com at the end of it, you couldn't lose. Just anything affiliated with the internet was a surefire win. Everybody went out investing in all these new tech and new internet-related companies. And eventually, like all things happen, what goes up sometimes must come down. In 2001, the dot-com bubble burst. 
Uh, and that was kind of, of course, unfortunately, in conjunction with the 9-11 attacks. And that brought that glorious decade of growth to an end. Um, so that was a big shock to our economy and to the markets. Um, however, that recession was quite brief. And after 2001, we get back into growth mode. And then the markets begin to soar again. And as you can see by my chart that hopefully you're looking at up on the screen, you'll notice again from 2001 to 2008, we experienced tremendous growth. Everything's going great. Unfortunately, a lot of that was prompted um, by the eventual cause of the Great Recession, all right, which came about in 2008, which was subprime mortgage lending. Okay. So essentially what that was, was the collapse of now a real estate or housing bubble. And when they say subprime mortgages, essentially what that was, was lenders and banks going out there um, who had no business making large loans due to their own financial condition. And they were making large loans to people who had no business acquiring large loans because of their household financial condition. So you had banks making bad decisions. You had, you know, Jimmy and Joe down there, you know, making bad decisions with, you know, what kind of house they should buy. And unfortunately, reaching far too um, far as compared to what they really could afford. And then that led to our real estate bubble. So eventually that creates a global financial crisis. Um, oil and food prices went soaring. And uh, then that's where we started to feel the the collapse of some America's greatest institutions, uh, such as Bear Stearns, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Lehman Brothers, um, AIG, having to get all of the, uh, the TARP money from the federal government uh, to bail them out. Um, the automobile industry, you know, really felt it. And like I mentioned with that TARP money, the government responded with an unprecedented $700 billion in bailout money to the banks. Uh, in a $787 billion fiscal stimulus package, okay? And then the NBER, all right, the National Bureau of Economic Research, they declared an end to the recession uh, just over a year uh, after the end date in which we reached our lowest point on March 9th, 2009. And then thereafter, since March 9th, 2009, we've had the longest bull market in American history. And now here we are, in 2020 and what really brings to fear for a lot of economists or people who are really following kind of the the financial uh you know movements throughout the world is our country has unprecedented debt of course depending uh, what that you look at i believe it's somewhere up around 22 trillion dollars of debt that our country has today we have entitlement programs social security medicare medicaid um, the pension systems, a lot of these are grossly underfunded. Um, so there's a lot of question marks out there uh, on the long term. How do we keep all of these things going? How do we stay solvent as a country? And then we look at the stock market and we say, all right, the stock markets are near all-time highs. Interest rates have been forced to almost all-time lows. So we don't have as many uh, you know, strings to pull to kind of manipulate that in a way as we approach essentially zero for interest rates, <clears throat> excuse me. And then we have this recent coronavirus scare. So you have all these kind of other unanticipated factors, like what, you know, almost became a trade war with China. And now we have this virus that nobody really knows 
uh, how severe, or maybe it won't be so severe. It'll just be another flu that we can hopefully come up with a vaccine for. Time will tell. All right, but I want everybody to really think out there in context. Okay, so we'll see. Hopefully, you know, America continues on this great track that we have over the past uh, 250 years or so. But time will tell. So I hope that you found this uh, informative. I know we spent a lot of time this morning or this afternoon, this evening, whatever time you're tuning in to some of the darker periods of American history. But I think what's so exciting is to realize if, again, you're looking at that chart, you'll notice these dark periods are such short periods of time compared to our bull markets. So the market is a very resilient thing, even when it does get knocked down. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. You've listened to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. Please go spread the good word and leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, Pass, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through Pass, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Pass is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.